Welcome to the Cheshire Police Federation podcast, sponsored by Number One Copper Pot Credit Union. Number One Copper Pot Credit Union is here to help the police family financially. It's free to join and offers easy access savings, loans and mortgages, all direct from your payroll, making it easier to manage your money. Lots of members use Number One Copper Pot to save for events such as Christmas or holidays, or simply to build a rainy day savings fund. To find out more or to apply to join, Visit number1copperpot.com. Hello, everybody, and we're back with the latest edition of the Cheshire Police Federation podcast in collaboration with Number One Copperpot Credit Union. If you haven't listened to us previously, then welcome. And if you have, then I hope you're returning because you like what you heard. And on that note, thanks to those people that shared the posts we published on social media to promote October's edition. That's one way to help us grow our audience, and another is to tell your friends, family, and colleagues about what we're doing. This is episode seven in our monthly series, and I'm your host, Andrew Simpson, and I'm joined today by Jamie Thompson, your branch chairman, and Dan Lever, who is the Cheshire Police Federation's full-time equality and wellbeing lead. I have a fair list of things I want to ask them both this month, so I'm going to crack straight on. But before I do that, welcome back, fellas. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Andy. You? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. And um, we record this just over a week into the second national lockdown imposed by the government in an attempt to slow the spread of coronavirus. Now, Jamie has talked elsewhere about the restrictions and how police will deal with those that break the rules. But almost eight months after being asked to do so first time around, I want to explore a little bit the impact on officers of having to continuously adapt to changing circumstances. So, Jamie, can we just start there? This is a long time now to be working under strain. So, how hard is it to sustain that? Um, I think it's extremely hard to, to sustain um, the, the ever-changing landscape that, that we're facing. It, it's been difficult for, for us all, really, to, to keep on doing the, the, the ordinary police and the normal police, in which, is, which the demand is still there, and have these extra demands of, of the pandemic on top of that as well. Um, there's been a significant amount of expectation from, from government as to what we will do to... Um, enforced legislation that that's brought in um, and all this is done on top of everything else that we're doing as well. Is it harder this time do you think because the public are feeling tired and weary now as well? Um, I can definitely see a shift in public attitude yes and, and I think um, we probably haven't got the same numbers uh, working with us this time that we've had previously which I understand you know, I, I, I'm a member of the public as well, and I'm tired with it all. And it is difficult. Um, but the, this lockdown is definitely a different feel to it. You, you just have to go out on the roads, and the roads are just as busy as they are normally. Um, when we're being told that only travel for essential journeys only, so it, there is a very, very different feel this time around. Now, Dan, Jamie's touched there on obviously officers are still expected to carry out their day-to-day duties doing um, lots of other things that we normally expect them to do. So what are are members telling you at the moment about how they're feeling, both physically and emotionally? Yeah, I think Jamie touched on it there when he started speaking in that, as you've just mentioned yourself, there's clearly the expectation that they carry on dealing with the day-to-day duties, the normal policing duties, which absolutely runs them into the ground anyway on a day-to-day basis. When you add to that the the expectation of dealing with people breaching lockdown restrictions, it's added pressure. And, and Jamie really the the nail on the head there. Police officers are members of the public too, and we're well aware that the public are 
more frustrated this time around with the lockdown. Uh, officers will meet a lot of resistance, and, and and when you've got that resistance, that that's tiring people out. And yeah. I, I think the big risk, really, depending on how long this goes on, is burnout for the for the officers involved. Definitely, and kind of directly related to what you've just said, um, you know, based on on your experience, and whilst you would have faced a, a kind of challenge like this before. How much tougher is it for a police officer kind of mentally when they are doing an assignment that at the moment doesn't appear to have an end date? You don't know when this is going to end. Yeah, that's a, it's open-ended, isn't it? There's no light at the end yeah. of the tunnel, if you like. Um, so it's really difficult to grasp that. And when you think the restrictions seem to change from month to month, it's keeping on top of that and knowing whether you're doing the right or the wrong thing. And I think when you when you add into the mix, police officers aren't immune from COVID, so they're just uh, just as much at risk, if possibly at even more risk, because they're out dealing with people people on a day to day basis. When you add all these factors together, it's it's a huge impact on people. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, because this is still unfolding, it's still ongoing. We're still kind of in the middle of it. Um, you may not know the answer to this question, but I will ask it. When do you think we'll know, or, or maybe a better word is when do you think we'll understand? the full extent of the toll working during a pandemic has had on frontline workers such as the police and obviously, you know, we, we see a lot, reading a lot about the NHS as well. When do you think we might know or understand the toll it's taken? I think it's really difficult to say, but if we, if it was to have a guess, I don't think we're going to know the, the full effects for another six or so months. And, and the reason I say that is a lot of people are, are working on pure adrenaline at the minute, trying to deal with a situation that's unique. Um, it's only when that dies down people will start to feel the after effects of that. that. That's normal with any situation. So it could be some time before we see the full impacts on, on the organisation and the people working. Does that make it more difficult than in the meantime to, to put measures or provision in place to respond to that? Yet again, it's another unknown. We don't know the extent. So does that make it more difficult to plan or are there things that the Federation and the force can be doing now to kind of mitigate some of that impact? Yeah, I think it's it's difficult because we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know quite how many people that's going to affect and in what ways. Um, there's going to be people who are going to suffer from fatigue. There's no two ways about it. But there's going to be people who've also contracted the illness who are potentially going to be suffering the effects of the illness for some time. So there's different aspects to it. I think from a, from a, a therapy, mental health type of viewpoint, all we can keep doing at the moment and all we do keep doing is making people aware of people they can talk to, if they are struggling with things, if they do need a little bit of help and a little bit of advice, just someone to, to, to speak out to. We, we've got to keep pushing that and that's really important. Um, that's probably a, a good moment to, to segue to something else I wanted to um, talk about. And that was a, a pledge earlier this week by David Keane, the Police and Crime Commissioner for Cheshire and a guest on this podcast earlier in the series um, to double the investment in occupational health support for police officers staff and volunteers in the county. This is a, a new model which will be introduced in stages and its intention is to reduce waiting times for psychological support and also, according to the Commissioner, to introduce parity between mental and physical ill health. Um, Dan, do you want to start by introducing kind of the role the Federation has played in this? Because again, it's something that's been kind of planned for a while, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's probably worth me saying, first of all, uh, thanks to the force for letting me be part of this um, because very early on in me taking this role I identified that the occupational health service we provide perhaps wasn't quite up to speed with the way things were moving in terms of officers health in general. Physical health never been a problem in terms of what they offer but mental health was there was a huge gap 
and we looked at a number of other, of other forces and had numerous discussions over what people offered and what perhaps was the best way to, to move forward, specifically for Cheshire. Um, ultimately, what, what we did want to do, and the, the agreement all the way through it was we needed to improve the, the mental health side of things. And ultimately, that's, that's what's come out at the, at the very end. That's what the PCC has agreed to. And just, you just touched on there about part of the exercise was looking at kind of what was going on in other parts of the country. What were kind of the main things that you saw or is it a real patchwork? It, it is a patchwork. There's no two right. ways about it. Um, but I made a visit to Lancashire Constabulary um, some time ago now because they were very well spoken of in terms of well-being. Chief Constable Rhodes, uh, well-being lead nationally. And it was evident from walking into their... Uh, occupational health building that it, it was on a different level to anything I'd seen before. Um, right. they, they had a, a psychiatrist um, who was resident there, which makes such a huge difference because you've got that professional advice and uh, opinion constantly without having to go elsewhere outside the force and wait weeks, months for that advice. Definitely. And do, do we know, I mean, I mentioned in the introduction that this is going to be kind of introduced in, in stages. Is it too early to kind of know a, a timeline for this yet, how it's going to kind of unfold? The the timeline we're looking at is it's got to be implemented by November 2021. In, in kind of broad terms, how much of a difference do you think a change like this can make from a well-being perspective? What I don't want to do is underestimate exactly what impact this is going to have because it's going to be huge. That That's my feeling at this moment in time. Like, like we've touched on there, we were great at the physical stuff, rubbish at the mental, the mental health side of stuff. And there were a lot of people who didn't have a lot of confidence in occupational health. They didn't feel like they were, they were going there and being listened to correctly. That's going to change this. That That's going to, I hope, encourage more people to come forward and speak to occupational health, get the help they need. They can obviously come to us for signposting to different therapies, but whilst we've got our own professionals working for Cheshire, it's it's massive. It's going to be such a, a big help to people, and that that's the only way I can see it moving forward. Really, it's it's a big thing. Um, Jamie, obviously, on last month's episode, we heard from the Northwest Police Benevolent Fund and the police treatment centres, and they both went into great detail about the support that they can provide. Um, for officers on, on, on some of the things that, that we're discussing here. For those who, who are listening who maybe aren't kind of familiar with how the, all the moving parts fit together, where, where does this change that David Keane is proposing fit into the kind of bigger picture? Um, for me, I think it's the, the force are taking responsibility for, for their, their officers and staff. You know, we, we know with the Benevolent Fund and the Police Treatment Centre, you, you've got to be a, a donor, a subscribing member to access their, their facilities, which are fantastic facilities. But it excludes those who maybe for a financial reason or, or simply reasons of not being able to, to access those services through care and arrangements, etc. Can, can get to. And, and this is the force actually putting the hand up and going, you know what, we're going to put our arm around our officers and our staff. We're going to look after them. We're going to make sure that they're OK and that, that, that we can get them to, to be the best they can be so they can deliver that good service to the, to the communities. What, what's probably worth mentioning, another way that the force haven't looked at this in, in a black and white view where they know all the answers and yeah we're going to make the decisions we're going to implement this without asking um, operational staff and although I'm not operational anymore as we know um, they've been quite open in saying they want to involve the federation in interviewing staff uh, for for the new the new venture if you like for the new occupational health to get an operational perspective 
um, to, to see if they do fit with what we're trying to achieve. So it's really good. They are considering the way that these, the new staff will interact with operational police officers and police staff. So it's really promising. Yeah, and, and just to kind of round this section off, what, what I was going to say, and you started to lead towards that anyway, and when you've been a guest previously in this series, you've talked about us aspiring to get this parity between physical and mental ill health, and this is a big step towards that. It acknowledges it, but also it's a practical, a practical step as well, isn't it? Yeah, and I think so often uh, police forces, not just Cheshire, all police forces are guilty of saying, we're going to do this, making these promises that really don't... Um, integrate with the front line if you like they're all forgive me for saying it but ticking the box exercises a lot of the time and this is a real uh, a real step forward this is something that is going to make a substantial difference it's not just nice words that we can put up on a poster this is practical uh, a practical change that that's going to really impact positively on the, on the workforce and again, a neat, a neat segue to the next thing I wanted to talk about, you know, about progression and, and doing positive things. I'd like to close today's episode by, by talking about a virtual conference that's scheduled for November the 19th, which for those that don't know, is also International Men's Day. And, and the conference plans to encourage open conversations about mental health. Um, Dan, do you want to lead, uh, lead off on this? I mean, I know, again, this is an event that has been in planning for, for, for some time and something that, that you've been involved with. Do you want to introduce it to start with and, and talk a little bit again about the Federation's involvement and also, of course, who you've worked with to, to help put this together? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- this uh, International Men's Day um, seminar in Cheshire is the first one that's ever been run. So it's a big step. It's a huge step um, and, and a great one at that. It's force-led. Um, Superintendent John Betts has been leading on on the planning for the for the event, but there's been so many of us involved. Um, I've obviously been heavily involved. Uh, Unison have been heavily involved. Um, th- there's a, a large number of people who want to make this day really valuable for a lot of people, and I think th- probably one of the key things to point out about it is yeah, it's International Men's Day, but it's not just uh, an event that's focused at men. It's an event that's focused right. at everyone. Um, yeah, we're looking to raise the profile around men's mental health because there is an awful lot of stigma attached to it and it, it needs addressing. But that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to females and it it's really valuable for everyone to, to listen to. Do you want to tell the listeners as well who you've got lined up to, to speak? Our, our own Chief Constable is going to be opening the day. Um, we've got Chief Constable Andy Rhodes from Lanks. Obviously, being the well-being lead, he's going to give us an input. Superintendent John Betts is, is going to give a talk about his um, experience with mental health, uh, as am I, my own experience as, experiences of it. We've got State of Mind, um, who are obviously linked to, to the rugby. They're coming yep. in to do a session. We've also got Tony White, who, who you'll know uh, from For Our Men. Now, I think she's really critical to the day because her work with men's mental health is quite unique. Um, and, and quite pivotal really um, and then we've got Russell, Russell Treasure who's um, a mindfulness coach he's going to do a session and then the day will be closed by the Chief Constable So um, I mean without giving secrets away are they going to be interactive sessions is it how, do you know kind of what the, the um, what it's kind of going to be the feel of the, of the day or are you going to, are you going to find out yourself when, uh, when it's unfolding I think it's going to be a bit of a learning curve for all of us um, okay. but Obviously, with 
lockdown in full flow at the moment, it's going to be done online. Um, so it's going to be a book on event through Eventbrite, uh, where you'll later be sent the link. Um, it's going to be presentations in the main. I don't think it's going to be interactive in such a way of asking people to do things, but I think the the key thing, we're going to be touching on some really sensitive subjects. Um, certainly uh, John Betts's, um and there'll be certain things that will really impact on different people. Um, so it, the, one of the main things, as I was saying, is to make sure we've got a lot of support in place on the day. Okay. Yeah. Jamie, why is it significant to be hosting an event like this in Cheshire? I mean, Dan's kind of touched on it. it. It's an original move. It's a progressive move and something to be proud of as well, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it's no secret that as a federation, we're, we're very uh, entrenched in, in mental health and, and we've tackled the subject of, of mental health in men before on this very podcast with, with, with the one we did with Tony White. Um, and it's been a common theme throughout all our podcasts and, and probably yeah. all our communications since, since we took post last year. We really believe in it. As a team, we really believe in this and we really, really committed to, to breaking down these stigmas and, and trying to help people. Um, and and for me, it, you know, the fact that this is force led shows that um, they're not scared of putting their hand up and, and and identifying that we need to talk about these things. Um, it is an uncomfortable topic. When we tackled the the, the, the men's mental health uh, episode on the podcast, I did expect a little bit of of backlash um, from from groups to say, "Why are you just focusing on that?" But as Dan said before, it's not just about men; it's it's much wider than that. But we didn't get that. We got we yeah. we got a lot of support publicly as well. We got a lot of support, and this is the next step really in that we take that wider, we take that wider across the force. You know, we're the police federation who represents police officers in Cheshire, but there's an abundance of police staff in Cheshire, and then the public as well. And you know, one thing that 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 we know has fallen out of the podcast is other blue light services have heard what what's happening in the police and can relate to it as well. So who knows what yeah. this could open? You know, these conversations could open because we're probably sharing some very similar experiences as our blue light colleagues in in the fire service and perhaps paramedics um in yeah. terms of of the demands on us especially around the, around the covid um situation. So um it shows that we're we're prepared to talk about it as an organization and we're prepared to help people and that, and that's massively important. You can't, you can't underestimate how much confidence that will give the staff and, and the officers to come forward and say, can you help me then? And we, we need to be ready then to do that. I'm just following on from what Jamie's saying there, really, and it, it, he's, he's absolutely right. There are still some forces who are really quite edgy about uh, broaching certain subjects. And like Jamie said there, when we did the original podcast about men's mental health, I think we did expect a little bit of a, oh, hang about a minute, why is it all about men? Well, it, it absolutely isn't. But one thing that's never been done before is addressing men's mental health specifically because it is different. It's different. and We've got to be diverse with it. We've got to be diverse with mental health because it affects everyone in a different way. And if you were to say one major statistic from men's mental health, it'd be that three quarters of all suicides are men. And yeah. I'll stand side to side with anyone and say... You can't say I'm not right to challenge that that issue. We've got to look at it and we've got to see if we can make a difference. And uh, But women play an integral part of that. Um, people who are married, people who've got partners, who they, they, who may be struggling to speak about things. It just opens it opens people's, people's eyes right across the board and that's what we're trying to achieve with it. 
Um, so, so it is important. It's interesting, Dan. You said about you know there might be forces elsewhere who are a little bit edgy. Do you feel like there'll be eyes on you guys this week and kind of how this goes and and how the kind of reception uh, how it, how it's received? But and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I say, you've you're leading the way. That and that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I hope there are eyes on us because I want people to know that this is the direction we need to be going in. And yeah, I've made it absolutely crystal clear since coming into this post. My main objective is to to basically fire Cheshire to the top of the table when it comes to well-being. And the more boundaries we can push and the more things we can challenge, that that's only going to get better and better. So yeah, I'm hoping people will be watching and I'm hoping that they'll want to do their own take on it, really. Last question on this, and, and this is what, to both of you, both of you can, can answer. What do you hope will be the main takeaways for delegates that attend on uh, on Thursday? Dead simple. If Thursday's event makes one person speak up and get help, we've achieved what we set out to. It, it really is as simple as that. Yeah, and for me, I think it's uh, similar to Dan. Really, just just showing that it's it's okay to talk about things. This is a safe environment, um, and you're not going to be judged. There's there'll be no career consequences of you putting your hand yeah. up and asking for help. Uh, and I think we need really need to get that message out because people are so fearful of putting the hand up and saying they need help. And there's so many blockers in the way. Let's let's use this event to get rid of those blockers. Brilliant. Thanks, fellas. That brings us to the end of our October episode. And if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to previous editions and would like to, then you'll find them on the Federation's website or by subscribing to this podcast through your favourite provider. I want to state my appreciation to my guest, Jamie Thompson, Cheshire Police Federation Chairman and Equality and Wellbeing Lead, Dan Lever. Thanks as well, of course, to our sponsors, number one, Copperpot Credit Union, for their continued backing. And we'll see you next time.